Are you out there doing your best to get on with life? Because, as you already know, it's what you make of your life that really counts. And sometimes having a few shortcuts to help you on your way can be very useful. The NLP Matters podcast might just be the toolbox you need to focus your attention, your effort, your drive onto what really does make the difference. Built on the foundation of neuro-linguistic programming, the NLP Matters podcast offers proven recipes you can use to create and sustain your life your way. G'day, and welcome to the NLP Matters podcast. I'm your host, Joe Clark. We're now well on our way into our investigation into what NLP has to say about the totally fascinating workings of the human mind and why this is important to how we think, behave, and go about constructing our reality and our relationships with others. Today, we'll look at the role of our states or emotions. Over the past few episodes, we've been talking about the ways in which our senses and our mind combine to construct our version of reality. So where do our internal feelings or emotions fit into this NLP model of communication? And why does it matter? I want to start by pointing out that many, if not most people, live their lives with mistaken beliefs about their emotions. To understand our emotions better, let's go back to what we have learned about the NLP model of communication in the past few podcasts. We know that we construct our internal representation our reality, from the information processed through our five senses. By now, we also know that we delete, distort, and generalize an enormous amount of information that is available to us. This means we create our internal representation, or our version or map of reality, only from the information we filter in. It is from our limited perception of reality that we construct our experience. There is a constant interaction between our physiology, psychology, emotional states, and our internal representation of reality. For example, I love playing and spending time with my grandchildren, and I now have three gorgeous grandchildren to play with. Most of the time, my interactions involve loads of imaginative play. Travelling to the outer reaches of our planetary system, diving into the depths of the deepest, darkest oceans in my living room, or building and constructing various facilities using the couches, chairs, sheets, and whatever else we can find. This special time is filled with new experiences, learning, imagination, frustration that drives creativity, joy, happiness, and so much more. Yet, there are also times when I'm tired. This different physiological state directly impacts my playing. Jumping up and down off the floor, running, climbing and sliding all seem a bit onerous. At these times, although I'm doing exactly the same activities as at other play times, I filter in different things. I notice the physical demand of getting up and down. I notice things that are consistent with and reinforce my experience of tired. And then my emotional response to play is also quite different. 
It is this constant interaction between our physiology, psychology, and emotional states that alter our experiences. In fact, they alter the bits of information we filter in. This means that in a high-energy, excited state, I'll filter in different sensory information than when I'm feeling fatigued or stressed or unhappy. And it also works in reverse. If we filter in information that reinforces limitations, problems or other unpleasant things, this will impact our physiology, psychology and emotional states. Or to say it another way, we'll get what we focus on. Unraveling this dynamic system is where we often make the most significant error in interpreting our emotional states. Most people live with the illusion that some external event that we have little or no control over has caused our internal state. We'll say something like, my boss is making me feel stressed out, or I feel sad, angry, betrayed because you didn't do what you promised. Believing that the external reality determines our emotional state is a commonly held belief that applies to both darker, heavier emotions as well as the brighter, lighter emotions we experience. In the example of playing with my grandchildren, it would be easy for me to blame my playful pleasure onto them. Now that might be okay, but it does create a risk that my ability to experience playful pleasure relies on them. Of course, the same applies to other emotional states. When we attribute our boss with the power to control our emotional state, we're placing ourselves into a position of relative powerlessness. It is the boss who determines whether or not we feel stressed. At other times, we experience emotional states and can't find an external cause that makes sense to us. So we we don't understand why we feel a certain way. And then we tend to get worried, something must be wrong with me. Actually, it's only our misconception that our emotional states are passive responses to an objective reality that results in the false logical assumption that we have little or no control or influence over our emotional states. When we don't acknowledge that we are actually responding to our own internal representation or map of reality, we become victims of external circumstances that we perceive as being beyond our control. However, when we accept that our emotions are in reaction to our own map of reality, we put ourselves into the driver's seat. The renowned coach, author and former NLP trainer, Jamie Smart, points out many people have got the relationship between our thoughts and our emotional states mixed up. He says that some people are mistaken by believing that something happens externally which causes them to feel something and that they then think something in response to that feeling. In fact, it's somewhat the other way round. Smart says that this contaminated thinking arises from the mistaken belief that our feelings are letting us know about something other than our moment-to-moment thinking. In other words, he reminds us, using the NLP model of communication, that our thoughts, our construction of our map of reality, precedes our state. Something happens externally, we perceive it, think something that fits with our map of reality, then create a state or emotional response. Logically, in order to change our state, we need only change our thinking. 
Now, I know that is easier said than done. Most of the thought processes we are exploring here happen at an unconscious level, and it's not usually enough to merely try and mask or paper over these thoughts with conscious positive interpretations or ignoring them and hoping they'll go away. The more effective way to respond is to be really curious. Ask ourselves some reflective questions. What am I focused on right now? How am I interpreting events around me? What do I do or not do when I have these feelings? How is this working for me really? A number of years ago, I had a very clear experience of this when I was completing the Oxfam walk in Melbourne. This is a 100-kilometre cross-country fundraising hike for the charity Oxfam. In teams of four people, you complete the 100-kilometre hike together with a maximum time allowance of 48 hours. The Melbourne course traverses hilly bush parks in the Dandenong and Yarra Ranges, followed by long, flat sections open to direct, and for us, blistering sun. But the last leg of the hike is the biggest challenge. It involves climbing up and over very steep, bushy terrain and along rough, weather-worn fire tracks. We departed the last rest stop as darkness fell, and although the finish line seemed to be tantalisingly close, not even 10 kilometres away, it was on this last haul that we were tested to our limits. With high fatigue, aching muscles and a few blisters to remind us of how far we had already walked, we set off, torches bobbing ahead, indicating the walkers who had already started this final climb. Now, in the dark, distance can be quite deceptive. The torches we were following seemed to be miles away and floating way above us as they climbed the steep incline. My good friend who joined me on this hike in a moment of what she now saw as misguided loyalty became more and more distressed about the distance and the climb ahead of us. It seemed to be never-ending. Although I encouraged, cajoled and inspired her with every step, she protested loudly over the ordeal. I can't make it, she said over and over again. It was only that turning back would mean having to walk even further that ultimately kept her going. I promised that as soon as we reached the summit we could rest, sit down, recover, before descending to the finish line. The climb was arduous. I needed to constantly talk, motivate and at times push her along, knowing that when we reached the top we would indeed rest and recuperate. It seemed like many hours climbing into the blackness. And then finally we reached the top. I was so relieved and promptly collapsed onto some grass, gasping for air and gulping water savouring the well-earned and highly anticipated rest and recuperation. But my friend remained standing. She was gazing into the distance where way below us she could see the floodlights and banners marking the finish line. We were separated from the end by a mere two to three kilometres of a steep downhill descent. And as my friend assessed the situation, She was suddenly filled with energy and enthusiasm. Quick, she said, get up, we're nearly there. And she set off at a cracking pace, commencing the descent. 
I clambered up, scrambling to find my feet and dragging myself along as I tried to keep up. The tables were turned now. It was me who felt depleted and drained. I needed the encouragement and cajoling along, whilst my friend was filled with newfound drive. She could see the finish line in sight, and this vision totally changed her physiology, psychology, and, of course, her emotional state. For me, however, I'd been hanging on to the promise of a rest at the summit. As I joined her in the race to the finish, I kept thinking, I didn't even get a rest. Poor me. And of course, my physiology, psychology and emotional state reflected this thinking. However, as we completed the descent and faced a short 200-metre flat paddock between us and the arch over the finish line, even I managed to break into a run and feel the excitement as our team crossed together. It was such a powerful experience to have noticed how merely changing what we were focused on had such a profound impact on our emotional states as well as our physiology. After crossing the finish line, we even went out to celebrate with some friends for a couple of hours. I'm still amazed when I think about that roller coaster of changes and how the physical reality of hiking 100 kilometres was not what determined our experience of reality. Ultimately, it all came down to what we were focused on and thinking about. This lived experience proved to me that I have a choice. And you know from listening to my podcast that in NLP, we love having choice. I know that changing my thinking really does change my experience of reality. Sometimes we choose to continue our thinking pattern And again, I know that means I'll keep feeling the way that I am, and that in itself may be a good thing, because as fully functional human beings, it's important that we do feel all there is to be felt, even when it's not light and bright. Our capacity to connect with others, to have empathy, and to savour all the good things in life even more, does after all depend on having the contrasts to compare it to. When we change what we focus on, by definition we must change our experience of the world. Basically, many of us act as if something in the external environment causes us to feel something, causes our emotions. And this misconception is responsible for a whole range of problems for us humans. Just think about a time when maybe you were feeling a bit angry or annoyed or cross and you were blowing off steam. And maybe the person you were with said something so that eventually you just crack up laughing because you think, oh, this is so ridiculous. And you both start laughing. But nothing external has changed. You've still got the same issue or the same problem, but now you're laughing. So your state has changed. And because your state has changed, your internal representation changes, as does your physiology. It's a truly dynamic system. This knowledge puts you in the driver's seat. Often, when we want to change how we feel, we focus on trying to change our external world and overlook that our experience of reality is a product of our internal representation. So often, if someone thinks they're not happy in their job, they go out and get another job. But in this instance, what they're focusing on might not change, even in the new job. How many job moves do we have to have 
before we look in the mirror and go, you know what? The only thing in common with all these jobs is me. So maybe I'm the one who needs to change. Remember, if you want to change your emotional state, change what you tell yourself and what you focus on. I'm not saying the boss is nice, but, you know, maybe I just don't need to let them get to me so much. Perhaps I could be curious about what I am focused on. How's that working for me? Or maybe I could explore some strategies other than leaving the job. Exploring other strategies is particularly useful if we notice that this behaviour has become a pattern in our lives. When we want to build lasting change, change that has the most sustainable outcome in terms of our lives, we need to focus internally. It is unconscious change that makes the most difference because then we don't have to think about it. Just like we don't think about breathing, it's unconscious. And unconscious strategies run automatically in the background, taking up negligible cognitive space. Obviously, our state plays a vital role in our experience of reality. Remembering that our emotions are driven by what we focus on, the thoughts and meanings we give to the small sample of reality that we filter in through our senses, means we're able to make choices about whether to keep or change our emotional states. And if it is change we want, then bring on that deep curiosity and wonder, what if I noticed this instead? Join me in the next NLP Matters episode when we continue to look at the fascinating subject of the human mind. In the next episode, we'll begin looking at the seven unconscious filters that are active in choosing what gets filtered in, what is distorted, generalized, or deleted. Stay awesome, and I look forward to connecting with you in the next episode. Wow, thanks for showing up and listening in. We would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts, ideas, or questions via email to joanne at destinypursuit.com.au. Now it's time to take today's recipe out into your own life. Notice the differences that show up as you apply it. We'd love to hear how you are progressing with your new approach.